power of a godly life. You know, the lifestyle choices that we make as followers of Jesus determine the level of spiritual power that we have in our life. Let me say that to you again. The lifestyle choices or the lifestyle that we follow as followers of Jesus determines the level of spiritual grunt that you have in your engine. Your ability to overcome is often linked in a very clear way to the lifestyle choices that we make in life. And the lifestyle choices that we make determine the level of confidence that we walk through life with. And our level of confidence is the hinge that determines how much we overcome in life. Our level of confidence will either resist us or release us when it comes to breakthrough, when it comes to victory, when it comes to overcoming the storms of life, the disappointments of life, the pressures of life, the challenges of life. Our level of confidence determines how much we overcome. And our level of confidence is linked to the lifestyle choices that we make as followers of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, or whether it was Paul or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we're not 100% certain. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. This is New Testament that I'm reading to you. The author of this letter is saying, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you follow Jesus. Be careful how you live out the Christian life and work out your salvation in his presence. Be careful. Make sure. Determine on a daily basis that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, which will turn you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, while there is still time. You must warn each other. Stand alongside of each other, encourage each other, support each other, exhort each other, appeal to each other to guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. But warn each other while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Sin will harden your heart against God. Sin will crush your level of confidence and as a result, your level of spiritual power will be greatly diminished. Your grunt to overcome, your grunt to resist, your grunt to, to move against the oppression of the enemy of our soul and actually win as a follower of Jesus will be determined by your confidence levels. For we, if we are faithful, the author says, to the end, trusting God, the New King James Version says, uh, holding our confidence in God, our confidence in God, just as firmly as when we first believed. We will share in all that belongs to Christ. If we hold fast, if we hold fast to our confidence, if we hold fast to our, our faith, if we hang in there holding on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we will ultimately share in all things that belong to Christ. Uh, simply as our, our expressed faith in Jesus 
as our confidence in Jesus, as our receiving of Jesus and all that he has done for us on the cross, the Bible tells us very, very clearly that we are declared righteous by God. We're not righteous by earning our righteousness, by living at a certain level for a certain period of time. We don't attain to righteousness. We are righteous by a decision that God has made. As a result of a decision that we have made, to simply follow Jesus and receive all that he's done for us on the cross. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul does say here, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, working for our salvation, in other words, without working for our salvation. It was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. Everyone. That includes you and I here today. Everyone covers everyone. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're, we're Middle Eastern or whether we're European or whether we're Caucasian or whether we're, we're black, white, whatever, red, yellow, whatever. Our, this is true for everyone who believes. God has made this very, very clear to us. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God... Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. You might not feel righteous. You might not look righteous. But the moment you accept what Jesus did on the cross for you, you are declared from heaven's perspective absolutely righteous, which means in right standing with God. You, you are no longer at odds with God. You are made right with God at the moment of that decision. God did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. He freed us from the penalty, not so much from the consequence, but from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. If you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you are seen as absolutely righteous in the eyes of of your heavenly Father. However, we can be righteous. We can be in right standing with God, completely accepted by God, theologically speaking, simply through our faith in Christ, but at the same, same time, at exactly the same time as being righteous and right with God, we can live in consistent misery and frustration. At the same time as being righteous with God, we can, we can live a life controlled by bondage and addiction. We can live a life full of hatred, resentment, bitterness, greed, unforgiveness, all of those things that rob us of joy and put a knot in our stomach. We can be right with God, absolutely accepted to God, but still be living a life that is dominated and oppressed by the enemy of our souls. And it all comes down to the lifestyle choices that we make on a daily basis. We can be righteous and miserable at exactly the same time. How do I know that's true? Because I've experienced it many, many times. Because our right standing with God alone does not enable us to overcome in life. Our right standing with God alone does not enable us to obtain victory over the oppression of the enemy. Our right standing with God alone does not give us the power and the grunt to live life above and not beneath, to be the head, not the tail, 
to be more than a conqueror through him who loves us. Our right standing alone is not enough. It's our right choices from that moment onwards. Can you hear what I'm saying? When we choose to live our life, let me say that again. When we choose to live our life out of our right standing with God, when we intentionally align our heart, our mind and our will with the will of God, with the new spiritual position that He has declared over us, when we intentionally align our heart, our mind, our will, spiritual power will begin to be manifested in your life. When we intentionally surrender to His will, where in the words of Jesus, He said, not my will, but yours be done. Spiritual power will begin to grow in our life. So, so many of us struggle through our Christian life in right standing with God, but because of the lifestyle choices that we consistently make that are contrary to our new spiritual position, we live life with contradictions every day of our journey with Jesus. The reason we live with so many of those contradictions, I've, I've jotted out a couple of things here and they all, they're a little bit poetic, if you like. The reason why so many of us live with contradictions in our our life is often due to the fact that our practices are at odds with our position. Our lifestyle is at odds with our life source. Our behavior is at odds with our belief or professed belief. Our decisions are at odds with our doctrine. And our daily choices are at odds with our divine calling. And living like that, where we live one way but believe another way will we'll suck our confidence right out of our, our soul, right out of our will, right out of our emotions. Our, our level of confidence will be drained from our life, our confidence that God is for us, that God is not against us, that God has a plan and a purpose for our life. When we're making decisions that contradict our new spiritual position of right standing with God and the life that He has called us to, which is the higher life, when we make decisions that contradict that, it sucks our our confidence out of our life and our confidence is critical to victory. The author of the Hebrews in a few chapters after the one we just read in chapter 10 says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Do not cast away your confidence. The, the reason so many of us live oppressed is because we lack confidence. We lack confidence in who we are. We lack confidence in what God has promised. We lack confidence in the faithfulness of His Word. We lack confidence in the truth about who God is and what He's called us to. And our level of confidence will determine how much we push and break through. Our confidence will often rob us of the promise of God. The key to an overcoming lifestyle, the key to an overcoming lifestyle is to be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer. So I, I thought we, we didn't have to do anything to get right with God. You don't. You can, you can be in right standing with God and live in misery because of the choices that we make. We are called now to make choices that align with our new position of right standing with God. And when we are people who hear the word and we do the word 
And we walk out of here and say, is that the lifestyle I am to attain to? And say, Holy Spirit, help me attain to that. Help me make decisions that live up to the new position that you have declared over my life. When, when we make those decisions with the help of the Holy Spirit, because look, believe me, I'm as weak as everybody else. And we struggle at times to make the right decisions. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit the comforter, the paraclete who comes alongside of us to empower us, to assist us, to enable us, to equip us. He is an ever-present help in those times where I struggle to actually do what the Word says. I hear it, but I, I then have a blockage between hearing it and putting it into action in my life. That's where the Holy Spirit comes and enables and empowers us. But the key to an overcoming lifestyle is to be a doer of the Word, not just someone who knows it and can quote it. I've met so many people who are so theologically um, smart. They know their Bible. They could read it backwards. In fact, many of them know better than me, but they don't apply it to their life. And as a result, there's no fruit of Jesus living in their life. I, I don't want to live like that. I want to live with fruit in my life. I want to live with the fruit of joy, love, peace, grace, kindness, gentleness, power to overcome, You know, not to be rattled when the storms of life come against me. And often the storms of life come when you least expect it. I don't want to be knocked off my feet. I want to have the Word in me, working through me, so that when those moments come, I just keep pushing through. The key to an overcoming lifestyle is to be a doer of the Word. Let me take you back to that, that old Scripture that everybody knows. And, and, and you know, I think if we would just meditate on it long enough and get the principle behind it, it would change so much in our life. Where Jesus said in Matthew 7, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. So he clarifies, don't just listen to my teaching, actually follow it. Actually apply it. Put it into practice with the help of the Holy Spirit. Say, God, that's a hard thing for me to do, but it's what your word's calling me to do. Holy Spirit, make me willing to do it. If I don't want to be willing, make me willing to be willing to do it. And if I don't want to be willing to be willing, Holy Spirit, make me willing to be willing to be willing to do it. Start as far back as you need to go. And, and God, because I know that if I do your word, fruit and blessing and breakthrough will be mine. My teaching, whoever does it and follows it, is, like, is a wise person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes, though the disappointments come, though the struggles come, though the setbacks come, though the storms and the, and the hurricanes that often blow into our life come, if a person is a doer of the word, the promise is sure and true that no matter how ferocious that storm is, your house will still be standing even though those around you will be destroyed. It's a promise right out of God's Word. We have to be people who hear and do, hear and obey. In Hebrews chapter 1, you don't have this scripture, Neville, but in Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible here is talking about Jesus, and it says an interesting thing. It says, a king's scepter, the king's scepter or the scepter of his kingdom is a scepter of righteousness, of justice and of straightforwardness. It's talking about Jesus. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. A king's scepter was his mark of authority. It was his seal. When the king held the scepter, which is a rod or a staff of some sort with an emblem on top, the king would hold his scepter, particularly when he was on his throne and he was issuing decrees and judgments. He would hold his scepter and the scepter was his mark of authority. And when people saw the king's scepter, they immediately bowed. It was the mark that signified this man is the king. 
People may never have seen the king, not be able to recognise him, but they knew the scepter and the scepter was his mark and his scepter was his righteousness. It was his godly lifestyle. It was his, it was his choices to be obedient to the will of the father, to do only what he saw his father doing. Remember he said that? I do only what I see my father doing. He was a man who saw and obeyed. He was a man who saw and did. He was a doer of the word. And as a result of that, it gave him authority in his life. King Jesus, his scepter. I find it fascinating. In fact, I get a chuckle out of this that you know, you're driving down the freeway to Sydney and you, you'll, you'll come around a bend and it'll be a downhill slope all the way. And all of a sudden you see a patrol car on the right-hand side. Every brake light in front of you goes on. Isn't that fascinating? It's like, why is that? It's just a car. And usually it's an XR8 or, a, or a, an SS Commodore. Is that what they're driving today? I, I don't know. I haven't taken much notice. Uh, but it's just a car. If you came around the corner and there was a Rolls-Royce parked there, I don't think any brake light would go on. If you came around the corner and there was a beat-up Toyota Camry parked there, sorry if you drive a Camry, particularly a beat-up one, I don't think a brake light would go on. But somehow when it's got the blue colours on the car and it's got the flashing lights on the roof, even if they're not flashing, all the brake lights go on. You see, the colour of the police car is the scepter of his authority. So that that police officer in that car could be off duty and parked in a Toyota. No brake light would go on because he's just another man. But when he's in his police car, all the brake lights go on. I remember when I first started work, I was a teenager, I was a pee plater and I was a little bit aggressive on the road. And I left work one day and I was, I was running late. I was frustrated and I, I got out into the traffic and it was single lane. I couldn't get past. I'm running late. I, I the guy in front was doing the speed limit, but he was just doing the speed limit and I needed to get where I was going faster than what he was going. So I was tailgating him. Forgive me. I wasn't saved then, okay? I was tailgating him and I was getting closer and closer. Margot wasn't in the car. I didn't know Margot then. So Margot would have stopped that from happening had she been in the car. But I'm tailgating him and I could see him looking at me in the rearvision mirror. So I start shaking my head at him. He's doing the speed limit, by the way. I'm totally at fault. So I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing. Finally, I got a chance to get around him. So I just reefed the car out and drove off with attitude and I slowed down just enough to get alongside, just to eyeball him. Well, he was a police officer in a uniform. <laughs> I felt the blood drain out of my face. He had the badge, New South Wales Police, whatever the Latin is that it says on there. And I felt the blood run from my face and I slowed right down. And he just glared at me and shook his head. I came back in beside him, behind him. I put some safe distance and I rode not looking at his rear vision mirror. What, what, what was it that made me do that? It was the scepter of his authority. You see, and when it comes to Jesus, the scepter of his authority was, was his scepter of righteousness. It was his lifestyle. You know, we, we read a, an interesting thing in John chapter 14 and verse 30. In the Amplified Version, it says, I will not talk with you. Jesus talking to his disciples. I will not talk with you much more for the prince, the evil genius, the ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. He has no power over me. When someone has something over you, it steals your confidence. 
When someone has something on you, it steals your confidence. It could be a long-standing debt, whether it be financial or otherwise, and you just can't pay the debt. Somehow you just you feel like you've got this connection that is holding you, that is binding you, that is tying you. It could be a long-standing obligation. It could be an unreasonable obligation. People have manipulated you into feeling like you owe them something or they've done so much for you. And and it's an obligation that you're left feeling like you're just never going to be able to meet that obligation to their satisfaction. And they've somehow that you've allowed them access by doing something for you and you're left feeling like you're obligated to them. And whenever you're around them, you've lost your confidence. You've lost your ability to, to stand up and be who you really are. You know, it could be a secret that if it's exposed, will damage your credibility. Something that you you hide in your heart, something that you've not dealt with, something that you're engaging in, a behaviour, an addiction, an attitude, a problem, and and somebody knows about it. So whenever you're around them, you're a bit timid, you're a bit shy because you think, I don't ever want them to expose me. Is there anything that the devil has on you? Because you can be in right standing with God. You can be absolutely acceptable to God. But if you are making lifestyle choices that are out of alignment with the God that has put you in right standing with Him, your confidence will be crushed. And if your confidence is crushed, you will never stand up and be who you really are. So it doesn't change your right standing with God, but it changes how you overcome or your inability now to overcome. Is it, an un- is it a foolish decision that at some point the devil has tempted you to make and you can't undo for some reason what that decision is. Well, you can undo it, but you're not prepared to pay the price to undo what it is. The devil will always have something over you when it comes to that. Is it an unhealthy, ungodly relationship that he has tempted you to get into? Is it a a destructive behavior that he has ensnared you in or is it a secret life that he has enslaved you in? Does the devil have something over you? Something that you have not repented of. Something that you have not brought humbly before God. Because believe me, folks, you can fix things like this in a heartbeat. You don't have to live with a lack of confidence. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live with this sense of of powerlessness in your life. All you have to do is humble yourself in the presence of God and get it right. Bring it to Jesus. This is not about living a perfect lifestyle. It's about living a repentant lifestyle, a lifestyle that gets up every morning and says, Jesus, I have so many flaws. I have so many weaknesses. I have so many struggles. Help me today to align my life according to your word. Go with me, walk with me, empower me. I want to be conscious of your presence today so that when I face that challenge, I'll respond in a godly manner. When I face that temptation, I'll look for the way of escape that your word promises is mine and is there if I will only look to you for help in that process. When I get up today, Holy Spirit, I need so much help. He can can work with that. But if it's something that we're refusing to deal with, something we're refusing to let go of, something that we're refusing to acknowledge and bring before Jesus with a heart of repentance, the devil will always have something over us and the devil will stop you from living at the level your right standing calls you to live at. Does that make sense? Does the devil have something on you that is at odds with your right standing? Something that consumes your attention, your affection, your devotion more than Jesus does. Is it something that's inflicting guilt and shame that you and God feel poles apart? You know, if so, the devil, the devil is draining you of your motivation, 
and he's draining you of your confidence and your spiritual power. I was thinking this morning about Judas in Matthew chapter 27. Judas has betrayed Jesus. He's received his payment. And then all of a sudden, guilt and remorse floods the man's soul. The torment that he clearly felt. Because when you look at what he ended up doing, there was an oppressive thing came into his life. He saw a quick buck. He kind of felt okay about it. It was a temptation that he knew was wrong, but never wrestled with it. He could have made the right choice, but he didn't. He betrayed his saviour. He betrayed Jesus and he received payment. And, And as a result of the condemnation and the guilt that the devil now brought into his life, because the devil now had something on him. He went out and he suicided. Do you think that's what God wanted for his life? I I live with a belief that Judas could have fixed that in a heartbeat. Judas could have come to Jesus and Jesus, I'm so sorry. I have really messed up. I betrayed you. You've believed in me. You've prayed for me. You've encouraged me. You've seen the best in me. You've you've spoken life into me. You've lifted me up when I've been down. You've you've encouraged me when I've been discouraged. And you, you have been a great source of hope in my life. And in a moment of weakness because of greed, I I I've betrayed you. Jesus, please forgive me. What do you think Jesus would have done? Forgiveness would have flowed. Grace would have flowed. And power would have been restored back to Judas's life. But as a result of not running to Jesus in that moment where he was struggling with something in his life, the devil then was given access and had something over his life that then controlled him and blocked him from becoming everything Jesus called him to become. And he suicided as a result. In contrast... In John chapter 21, I look at the life of Peter who said, I will never deny you, Jesus. I will actually die with you. Jesus, knowing his heart, knowing his weakness, knowing him better than he knew himself, said, Peter, I'm telling you, it's not going to be that easy for you. He said, I just want to warn you from this moment on. He he said, you actually are going to deny me three times before the day's over. He said, I will never deny you. Jesus said, Peter, just chill. It's going to happen, mate. Believe me. You know, I, I know you better than you know yourself. And so as the story goes on, Peter denies him three times. And then he's so overwhelmed with guilt and oppression and sadness and remorse. And he is just so flat. The devil stole his confidence because of the lifestyle choice he made. Can you see how it works? And he, did, he went back to fishing. He went back to fishing and he was so discouraged and so downcast, so feeling like a failure. The one who got the revelation from heaven that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, has now betrayed the very one that he was starting to get close to and connect with and walk with. Peter had been one of the ones sent out in pairs and doing miracles. Even the devil fell like lightning from heaven. He was all a part of that. He saw the power of God work. But in a moment, he made a decision that that sucked the confidence out of his life and stole the power to overcome from within him. And the only thing that restored the power to overcome was his repentant heart. It was running back to God, was running back to Jesus. And Jesus, of course, like he would have done with Judas, embraced Peter and then elevated and exalted him to become one of the greatest apostles ever on the planet. Books are named after him in the Bible. 
He preached one of the greatest sermons ever preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved. This is the same man that denied Jesus three times. What was the difference? The difference was he brought it back into his heart and his life back into alignment with the purpose of God. What does the devil have over you? What is he holding against you? What is it that you're hanging on to that you won't let go? Folks, you're only hurting yourself. You're only crushing yourself. When we hang on to things that are not in alignment with the word of God, we're robbing from ourselves. We are stealing from ourselves. You know, one suicided, the other succeeded. I remember years ago when I was the district leader of our movement, there was a a leader in in a position over me. And there was another leader under him, wasn't under me, but was under him who was behaving in in quite an ungodly manner. And it affected me. So that's about all I'll tell you about the details. But it affected me in my role. And I went to this leader and I talked it through with him. And I said, you're going to have to deal with this guy. You're going to have to confront this behavior. You're going to have to address it. And he totally agreed. So face to face, he agreed. He said, yes. He said, "I, I, I know what you're saying. It does need to be addressed. Leave it with me. I'll fix it. Well, months would go by and nothing was changing. So I met with him again and I spoke it through again. He said, yes. He said, I know. He said, I, I will address it. I, I will confront it and, and, um, and I'll fix it. Just leave it with me. Trust me. Leave it with me. Again, months went by. This went on and on and on and nothing changed. Eventually, the leader who promised to fix things resigned and stepped out of his position. And I spoke to somebody who'd worked very closely with him and that subject came up because it was a bigger issue than just me. And in the conversation, I remember saying to this particular person about the leader who failed to address the issue, I said, I can't help but feel whether the guy he promised to deal with had something on him. And I'll never forget the words he said. He said, I don't you know. He said, he definitely does. Now, I stopped him right there. I said, I don't, know what, I don't want to know what it is. It's too late. I don't want that in my head. But they looked at me and said, oh, he definitely had something over him. And so my point is this. The leader in a position of authority to address and confront was disempowered because the guy had something over him. It's no different in the kingdom of God with our life. If the devil has something over him, you say, well, he has got something over me. I don't know how to deal with it. Get before God with a repentant heart. Ask Jesus to wash you clean. You may need to get with someone else, depending on the level of what it is, and process that. You don't have to air your dirty laundry in front of everybody, but we do need to tell somebody. You know, I think it's James that says, confess your sin one to another so that you may be healed. The power of a godly man prevails much, but that same context says, confess your sin one to another. You you don't have to tell everybody, but often you do need to tell somebody, depending on what it is. It may be something you can just deal with between you and God, but has the devil got something on you, something you refuse to stop doing, some place you refuse to stop going, some attitude you refuse to let go of, some unforgiveness or resentment that you refuse to deal with in the presence of God. And I know sometimes forgiveness is a very, very difficult thing, but when God is helping, you we can do it we can do it our level of spiritual power over the enemy of our soul is in direct correlation with how aligned we are with our right standing with God that's why the devil hates repentance it's why the devil hates us being in the word 
Because the more we're in the word and the more we're in the presence of God, the more he enables and empowers and pulls us into alignment. But when we're not in the word and we don't live with a repentant heart and we are just churchians rather than Christians, we're in church but not in Christ, you will constantly struggle through life in right standing with God. I want my right standing with God to reflect my walk here on this planet today. I want to be the overcomer, the Bible says, I can be. I want to be the, the more than a conqueror that the Bible says I can be. I want to live with joy even when the circumstances in my life tell me joy should not be present. It's possible for us to live with a smile on our heart when the, the enemy is oppressing and pushing back at us. It's possible for us to look him in the eye, smile and keep going. We can do that if we align our life with the Word of God. Christians who pray and read the Word live in humble dependence upon the Lord, which then leads to a lifestyle of straightforwardness. Remember, Jesus' scepter was a scepter of righteousness. When our life... Now, you might, you might mess up. The devil comes and gets in your ear. You say, yeah, I did mess up, but hey, watch this. Lord, forgive me of that. Wash me clean in the blood. The devil goes, because <coughs> that's how easy it is. And Lord, empower me not to do that again. But Lord, I know that if I stumble and fall and do do that again, because if I sin, <laughs> we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So I'm, I'm talking about deliberate rebellion. I'm talking about deliberate resistance to coming in under the authority of God's word. Because when we come under the authority of God's word, we have authority. Remember Jesus said to the, the centurion, he says, I'll come with you and heal your daughter or whoever it was, his servant, I think it was. The centurion said, you don't need to come because I too am a man under authority. I know how this works. I say to this one, go, he goes. I say to that one, come. Hang on a minute. Don't you mean you're a man in authority? And you say, go, and he goes and come. No, no, no. He meant, I am a man under authority. So therefore, I say, go, and he goes, come. It, it, it doesn't make sense. The point is this. When you're under authority, power is released. So he's saying to Jesus, oh, I know you're a man under authority. You're under the authority of a heavenly God, a father that you've talked about. And because you're under that authority and in alignment, you've got power to simply say, I don't need to come. Just go. Your servant's healed. Can you see how that works? It all comes down to the scepter is a scepter of righteousness. The choices that we make in life. It doesn't mean being perfect. It simply means living a repentant heart before God. Where God, I struggle with that. Help me to over... God, I messed up again today. Help me tomorrow to not mess up again with that. He constantly works with that. And the devil's got nowhere to go with that. But it's when we get into bed and we go, I hate their guts. I, I just... I just want bad to happen to them. Man, what they've done to me. I just want that to happen. Jesus, by the way, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then we go to bed and go, good night, Jesus. You know? It's like it's that resistance. Now, you might say, I've tried to forgive, but I can't. It's that alignment with Jesus. Get in his presence. God, I just can't forgive them. I need your help. I can't forgive them. I need your help. Show me, guide me, empower me, reveal to me. Give me a revelation, an insight as to what I need to do to overcome this. Because if I don't align with your word, power will be diminished in my life. There is power in a godly lifestyle. 
It's not just about being born again. I've now got my ticket to heaven. I'll just get to church when I can and I should be right with God when the day comes when I stand before him. It's not about that. It's about being an overcomer today. It's about being victorious today. And we can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray this morning that your presence would just permeate every heart, every mind in this building. I pray, Lord, that you would draw people to yourself, people that right now can even put their finger on things that they've not dealt with, things that they're struggling with, things that are not in alignment with who they are in their right standing with you. I pray, Lord, that they begin even now to open their heart and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, I want to walk with you every moment of every day. I want to be conscious of your presence in every decision I make in church, outside of church, in the workplace, at home, wherever it is I might be, on the road. I pray, Lord, that, that you would help me align my life with you. And as I live a life of repentance, my scepter of righteousness will begin to increase my authority that when I hold that scepter up before the enemy and the oppression of the circumstances of my life, I pray, Lord, that you, Father, would increase the power of heaven in every heart and every soul. In Jesus' name. Just while your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed this morning. I just want to give an opportunity. Maybe you've come into the meeting today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've come into the meeting today, you've never said, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. I, I want your power released into my life. I want to be in right standing with God, the creator of heaven and earth. I, I want to be in right standing, but I also want my life to be a life that overcomes. I'm tired of being knocked down. I'm tired of being defeated. I'm tired of feeling oppressed with depression and all kinds of anxiety and emotional issues. I'm tired of being below and not above. I'm tired of being the tail, not the head in life. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus. And if you feel like you want to do that in this meeting, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand right where you're sitting. I'll see it. God will see it. And I'll know to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else today? You want to join this? Hold your hand up high so I can see it. Thank you. The young man in the middle here. You want Jesus to be your empowerer, your constant friend, your companion. The one who, who can walk alongside of you and, and just give you that prod, that nudge, that, that insight that you need in those moments that often bring you down. Father, I thank you for these two people who have raised their hand. I, I thank you, Lord, for their openness, their honesty, their hunger for you. I, I pray, Lord, that as they open their heart right now and invite you in, Lord, you would come in like a flood. You'd set up a standard against the enemy that seeks to oppress them and destroy them and crush them. And Lord, today they would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live life to the full, a life of abundance that you died to give them. What we're going to do right now is we're all going to pray this prayer, but particularly those two people who raised their hand. 
I want you to pray this prayer right out of your heart. I'll give you the words to pray, but let it come right out of your heart. And everybody will pray it with you. And you won't stand out or feel awkward in any way. So let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning and surrender my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me, that my sin could be forgiven. And I receive that today by faith and acknowledge today that you are my Savior from sin and the Lord of my life. And as I walk from here today, help me to follow you for the rest of the days of all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you put your hands together for these wonderful people?